You're listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf-Terry, and... Luke Romsdorf-Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. And on today's episode, we're talking about the 11th book in the series, The Cat Who Lived High. Before we begin, I just have to say that I have been mispronouncing and mis uh, saying the title of this book very badly. Uh, it is not the cat who got high, it is the cat who lived high, so... No, there's no reference to cannabis in uh, it, it, for several more books. I have a fee- Well, okay, so it does happen. Yes, it does. I would. Moose County sounds like the kind of place that would legalize it, and then there'd be a whole bunch of old farmers coming out going, "Oh, we've been growing it for years." More the old farmers been growing it for years, less that they've done it legally. Anyway, <laughs> this particular book was published in 1991. We have moved into the 90s. Huzzah! And excellent. Now the uh, uh, the narrator is this the same gentleman as before? It is the same gentleman as before. Um, we this one can occasionally be found as a digital copy Hmm. um not always it just depends on it it just depends on whether your library happens to have it um when we get to the next book the uh the digital copies become the the digital audio becomes much more consistent excellent so let's go ahead and let's jump right in with this one all righty well the book opens with a bang literally because we open with quill being presumed dead in a car crash down below oh no yeah, quote, Chief Brody has to share the news with the community, Polly is distraught, and Arch Riker heads down below to, co- to collect, collect, collect Quill's room. <laughs> and Arch you're, Riker, you're pretty broken up about it too, it sounds like. And Arch Riker heads down below to collect Quill's remains. Well, wow. This way does to, start, yeah. Way to start things off. We've done this, we've done something similar to this before. Um, with, with with an earlier book, this we, this harkens back to mm-hmm. the cat who played post office with the uh, bike accident, correct? Exactly, and That's now right. and exactly in that same vein, we flash back two weeks <laughs> to Quill receiving an out of the blue call from the eldest of the three weird sisters, oh, Amberina. Sisters, um, if you don't remember the the three weird sisters, they were from the cat who turned on and off when mm-hmm. Quill lived in Junktown, where he first met Iris Cobb. There were three sisters, obviously. Um, Amberina was the oldest, Clothra was the middle, and then uh, we had Ivrine, the youngest. Now, they've closed up shop since then. Clothra married money. Ivrine moved to Chicago after she finished art school. Amberina got divorced and now works for an auction house, and she's calling Quill to help save the last iconic building of Junktown, the Casablanca Apartments. The, the, the what Blanca Apartments? The Casablanca Apartments. <laughs> Sorry, I heard something differently at first and want to make sure it is the here's looking at you kid apartments. Exactly. <laughs> now the building is an is, is the building is iconic enough that Osmond Hasselrich, who is the current K Foundation lawyer, remembers eating in the fancy restaurant at the Casablanca as a child. Now this was formerly the home of movie stars in the Nouveau Riche and is now home to quote unquote yuppies, bums, wealthy widows, two stunning call girls, and a few bums and crazies. And Amarina herself. <laughs> So she and Mary Duckworth, remember her, oh, yes. are on sock. They save our Casablanca committee spelled with a cutesy K, which <laughs> does not earn them any points with Quill. Uh, amazingly, Quill does not politely decline her offer to join this hopeless case and hang up. And instead, he promises to move to the Casablanca for a few weeks to help the K fund assess if it's worth saving. Everyone in Pickaxe says he's nuts, which is Quill's cue to do it anyway. Fortunately, pets are allowed. Uh, I don't think the cats are going to like this. There's something about cats not being happy above the ninth floor of any apartment, but I I suspect that's probably untrue. But that's Hmm. the theory for this. Uh, This is a big apartment building then. Yes, it goes to uh, the 14th, technically 13th floor. Um, (laughs) 
It's the grand tradition of they don't have a floor Of course, 13. just for, for, you know, having a 13th floor is bad luck. Exactly. So Quill packs up the cats and the car and they head down below. <laughs> Quill at this point is driving a distinctive um, purple colored sedan that he nicknames the Purple Plum. <laughs> it's really ugly, but it gets great, great gas mileage. So that's all Quill's Quill well, cares about. all right. Now, Quill is coming down here very clearly with savior plans. Um, as, as Quill tends as to want to do. As he tends to do, to do yeah. but unfortunately those are pretty much dashed when he gets his first good look at the old Casablanca. Formerly ad- adorned with Moorish-style decor, the building now looks like a refrigerator with a distinctive dark Ooh. line about two-thirds of the way up, where a fancy <laughs> ledge used to be until it crumbled. Um, the elevators don't work. The walls are painfully thin because they put, cut up all the fancy apartments for efficiencies in the 30s and skimped on the building. And the cats are plentiful. It has been nicknamed the Casablanca Cat House <laughs> with multiple implications because, you know, remember the call girl. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And the longtime doorman was shot dead a few weeks ago. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, there is, however, one discordant element in all of this decrepitude. Um, aside from the malfunctioning tenant elevators, there is a beautiful bronze elevator elevator with operatic scenes in polished relief that leads to the apartment of the Countess, oh a reclusive woman who's lived at the Casablancas her whole life. Now, after seeing members of the Pennyman dynasty visiting her with fancy chocolates, the Pennymans, if you remember, are the ones who own the art school, uh, our big banking family, uh, Big name in uh, a big name in uh, in Shikleveroit society. <laughs> um, so Quill, uh, in his esoteric um, ability, starts referring to her as Lady Hester Stanhope, who I had to look up um, because she is a problematic 19th century lady explorer who apparently holed up in an abandoned monastery and declared herself a prophet. Ooh. And the comparison is not far off with the Countess. So Sock has uh, has uh, decided to put Quill up in one of the penthouse apartments with a sunken living room, uh, because that's where the pool used to be. Uh, well, all right. Uh, yeah, the the top floor was where the restaurant and the pool house used to be, mm-hmm. and that when they cut them up into apartments, they made them the penthouse apartments. So one side got the restaurant side with the beautiful kitchen, uh, the other side got the pool house. How uh, deep? How sunken in is this living room? Probably about three to four feet. Yikes. Uh, low enough that, you know, the person who lived there before actually used it as a uh, as the sunken living room and gallery. Because, <laughs> of course, we've found our way back to the crazy arts crowd. Oh, goody. So there are some adventures getting up to the uh, 14th floor with the ancient elevators. Uh, once he finally does, he lets the cats out to explore, and Coco immediately gravitates to an awkwardly placed bar, which is sitting in the middle of that sunken living room. Mm-hmm. And Quill's mustache starts twitching, because it turns out that bar is covering a massive bloodstain. They oh. weren't able to get out of the carpet. Oh, all right, Coco. The apartment also features a fortune in contemporary art, including a painting of a group of uh, of a group eating spaghetti, um, and a series of paintings of mushrooms and very sharp Japanese-style knives. Hmm. Uh, culinary knives or... Yes, culinary, Japanese-style cutting knives. Ah, so ginsu, if you will. Yeah, exactly. But not a ginsu. Something like that. It, can't, it can cut through a penny, but you can't they're, get it on TV. They're really, uh, they're really just described as very, very sharp looking. Hmm. So he manages to catch... The, the, the commentary is that this artist manages to capture the sensuality of mushrooms and the deadliness of kitchen implements. Gotta love fine art. Clearly, my goodness. Junktown, by the way, has got undergone major transformation since Quill lived here. Uh, although the Blue Dragon is still the most expensive shop on Zwinger Street, 
And Robert Mouse, our, our lovely friend from Mouse from House, previously, mm-hmm. is no longer an attorney, but he is, he is a chef at his very own very exclusive restaurant, uncreatively, however, named Roberto's. <laughs> but it's lovingly managed by Charlotte Root. Oh, Charlotte's back. Charlotte is back. Wonderful. Um, Quill and Amberina are invited to dinner as guests of Sock, and while the food is <laughs> excellent, it's the gossip that starts to make the meal memorable. It turns out that the former tenant of Quill's apartment was the part owner of the Bessinger Todd Art Gallery, Diane Bessinger, with two N's, known less than affectionately as Lady Di. She was a bit of a snob. <laughs> and she was one of the founders of Sock. Amberina doesn't explain the blood stains, but does confirm that Lady Di passed away, quote unquote, unexpectedly. Hmm, quotation marks. Murder usually is. <laughs> Now, Coco is attracted to her art books, and it should be noted that uh, Diane had a long-haired cat, so they're sensing mm. that presence as well. Right. And Coco likes to sit on the uh, and, and sit on the art books with his tail, making strange shapes. Hmm. Now, Amberina is doing all of these introductions because Mary Duckworth is once again out of town. She's gone to an antique show um, and is on her way back with hopefully an empty uh, van and uh, and truck or whatever she took to uh, to the show. Um, assuming that she sold everything, which, of course, being Mary Duckworth, we assume she does. Um, so she mm-hmm. comes back to town. She tells Quill a little bit more about the history of the Countess. Her name is Adelaide St. John Plum. Oh, wow. She is the daughter of the architect of the Casablanca. Hmm. She apparently adored her father, never married, and has one remaining passion in life, table games, with the exception of chess. Hmm. So Mary and Roberto are, he insists on being called Roberto, now it should be mentioned. So um, not Robert, but Roberto. He is not Robert, but Roberto. So Mary and Roberto <laughs> are able to talk with her about Sock solely because they play bridge with her once a week. <laughs> Unfortunately, so do the Pennyman bankers who are trying to tear the building down. Hmm. But she pours tea every afternoon at four, and Mary promises to take Quill along. And Quill decides he'd like to try and interview the Countess, but Mary warns him that she's mostly going to want to talk about her, her dear father. Dear father. Dear father. <laughs> uh, Mary also fills in a few more details about Lady Di. She was an avid Scrabble player, and Coco actually found some of her Scrabble tire, tiles um, in the apartment. Interesting. And uh, later, a, a bracelet with a message in Scrabble code. From, Scrabble code? Yes. Where you, Okay, so you know how in Scrabble the... Um, uh, the letters have had num- numeric values right. assigned. The uh, the bracelet has a coded message, but it's done in Scrabble values. I see. So if you were a really good player, you would know that it said love always or as something along some, that As line. opposed to a simple whatever three letter. Yes. Whatever or or something word. mildly more inappropriate. I didn't bother to translate it. Uh, um, but you... Pl- I will say that you are an exceptionally good player at Words with Friends, and you're one of the reasons I stopped playing, because I felt <laughs> so ridiculously dumb while playing it. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, so she's a big Scrabble fan. So was her lover, um, who was an artist called Ross Rasmus, and he is responsible for the paintings of the mushrooms and the knives. Ross? All right, Ross. Ross Rasmus. Um, but then, apparently, he slit her throat and took his own life by fleeing himself off the building, which does explain the blood stains under the bar. So that he threw himself off the Casablanca's building. Yeah, exactly. Oh Landed my. on a car in the parking lot. Oof, jeez. Um, yeah, jumping off the 14th floor, that was not a, uh, that was not a short way down. The, uh, other than guilt, though, there's no real motive here. And Quill, of course, doesn't believe a word of it. His mustache is twitching, and he is off to solve another mystery. <laughs> of course. 
Of course, the first thing he does is he visits the Bessinger Todd Gallery, conveniently housed in the same location as the Lambeth Gallery from the cat who uh, could read backwards. Ah, yes. And now we meet Jerome Todd, who was the husband of the late Diane, but not a fan of Ross, obviously, because they got divorced and she left him for Ross. That would Um, explain quite a bit. And for Ross and his and his mushroom paintings, um, <laughs> Jerome Todd prefers, as he says, to speak about living artists. Hmm. Um, there are a few falsehoods about plans to renovate an apple barn on his property up north, which exists, but Quill actually has no plans of the sort as of right now. Um, and he man- Quill manages to finagle an invitation to the gallery opening on Friday. Hmm. After creating both a fictional renovation project and a fictional memorial project about the Casablanca to benefit Diane's memory. Quill starts to think that both might actually be a good idea. Um, he meets with the architect firm, architectural firm that is offering to renovate the Casablanca, and while it would be costly, uh, they believe it to actually be feasible, primarily because it was designed by one of their original partners, and they still have all of the original blueprints on file, mm. which is pretty cool. Additionally, according to the architect, uh, Diane Bessinger was actually set to inherit the building, which would definitely have given Sock an edge over the developers, if Diane had survived. Oh, if only. So now there's a big reason why Diane might have died. Uh, well, died, as you say. Mm-hmm. So well, hmm. she died no matter what, but she did not die. Uh, she did not die in a lover's spat. No. Uh, so the plot, think. the plot thickens. Indeed, it does. <laughs> In addition to that, Quill deals with some of the quirks of living in a very old building. We've got leaking skylights, crazy parking, dramatic temperature swings, along with a couple of run-ins with Amberina, who, when when we last saw her back in The Cat Who Turned On and Off, she was married, she kind of had things on the ball, she was kind of the organizer of the group, and mm-hmm. now she is a complete and utter disaster. Is she no longer married? No, no longer married, divorced. Um, we don't know whether that actually happened because her husband left her for her younger sister, Ooh. which was implied in the other book, um, or or he left, or he just left her. Um, but either <laughs> way, she's not doing great. She's not the most organized person. Sure. Um, she's living in early cardboard boxes, and she's lived in this apartment for three years. Oh, wow. So not a good thing. No, not doing well at all. Yeah. Poor thing. Um, it is, however, interesting how uninterested in her Quill is. Uh, her reduced circumstances due to her divorce, the loss of the shop, should make her a prime Quill savior target, but her constant references to his wealth really make him uncomfortable. Hmm. Plus, let's be honest, he preferred the other two sisters from the start. Um <laughs> He does uh, make some acquaintances around the building. The manager, Mrs. Tuttle, who was born in the basement uh, and worked her way up to manager. Uh, Worked her way up through the building, too, apparently. Uh, Clearly. (laughs) Um, The handyman, Rupert, as well as an avid jogger named Randy Jupiter, who works as a bartender at the Peniman Hotel. Um, (laughs) On a dinner outing, because, of course, with Junktown um, raising itself in in, in the local estimation, there are a lot more wonderful restaurants. Mm -hmm. So Quill takes himself out to dinner at a Japanese steakhouse. Mm. And while he's out there, he spots a couple of higher-end businessmen, including one with a bandage around his ear. Um, And the other, as it's described, reeking of plastic surgery suaveness. (laughs) Um, That is a delightful description. It really is. (laughs) It's just that... That plastic face mm-hmm. where there's no real expression, but it's just, it's Uncanny Valley handsome. Right. I think that's... A, it, the, li, the eyes look lifeless. There's just nothing there. Yeah, the and, face doesn't move the way you think it should. It's no. it's creepy. Um, there is later a fire evacuation at the Casablanca. It was a chicken burning. Um, and Quill <laughs> realizes that the gentleman with the bandage on one of his ears is actually one of his fellow tenants. And, in the In the, in Casablanca. the Casablanca. And that's huh. starting to make his mustache twitch again. Understandable. 
So he later arranges with Mary Duckworth for him to finally meet the Countess. The Countess. And ironically, that afternoon, he he discovers Scrabble. Now, how a man who is literally plays a dictionary game with his cat, and according to his memories, won all the spelling bees since first grade, has never played Scrabble, I cannot understand. Okay, so when you say dis- dis- uh, discover Scrabble, he's actually discovering the game. He's discovering the game. He's, he's never, never played, played it, it before. before. Okay, that, yeah, that makes that no makes sense zero, considering it. Yeah. zero sense for a bibliophile. Uh, for a bibliophile, someone who loves words, someone who spends his entire life trying to find the right word, how can you not have found Scrabble? And this, it's not like Scrabble was a new was a new thing at this Absolutely point. This is in the not. '90s. Scrabble had to have been around for some time by then. Yeah, I don't know the, yes, just a few. the history of Scrabble, but it's, it's a fairly old game. This is oh, um, wow. So anyway, Quill has just <laughs> discovered Scrabble, and then he goes to meet Mary at the bronze elevator doors down in the lobby a few minutes before four to join the Countess for tea. Um, and when the elevator doors open on the twelfth floor, which is where the Countess lives, it is like stepping back. Into an Art Deco palace, circa 1935. <laughs> the Countess, by the way, is still dressing like it's 1935, right down to her dyed brown waved hair and Cupid's bow lipstick. The woman is over 75. Oh, wow. We get the full history of Adelaide St. John Plum from her escape from the 1918 influenza pandemic that killed her mother and two brothers, leaving her the only consolation to her father, uh, to her social debut in the Casablanca restaurant. Actually coming out. Yes, actually coming out. Um... <laughs> Her memory is, of course, selective, and eventually she registers that Quill doesn't play bridge. Uh, But his newfound Scrabble skills are a small consolation to her. They schedule a game with her former wrestler-turned-footman. His name is Ferdy, as in Ferdy LeBull. How he ended up in his... Actually, we know how he ended up in there. His mother actually is the the Countess's longtime housekeeper. Ah. So when he needed a job after he had to retire from wrestling, his mother recommended him as as a houseboy. And the rest is history then at that point. Yes. So now you have a giant man in a salmon-colored uh, dinner jacket making, sched- making, making the Countess's schedules for bridge games and Scrabble. <laughs> after all of that, Quill walks Mary down to her car, only discover that his car now has four flat tires. There's been hmm. some issues with his parking. Um, he has technically an assigned parking spot, but he's never actually been able to park there. Somebody else is al- always in his spot. Huh. So he just keeps parking in somebody else's spot. Apparently this time he picked somebody um, who objected. We're to not that happy about him taking someone else, their spot. Their spot, yes. Authorities are called. Quill returns to his apartment and is interrupted by a female flasher. Um, Whoa. Yes, one of the other tenants uh, decides that she's going to offer him a good time. He politely declines and closes the door. Um, (laughs) And he settles in for the night to play Scrabble, their own version, with Coco. Scrabble with a cat. You know, they they see who can pull the the highest scoring words. Sure. Um, you're, you're, You're less playing on the board, more just playing by pulling out of the bag. Makes sense. So it's a fun way to do it. Um... The next day, Quill takes a uh, new police detective to lunch, mm-hmm. um, who's been hearing co- stories about Coca's abilities from the previous detective, Detective Haynes. Uh, this new detective shares a tidbit about Diane Bessinger's murder, mentioning that Ross Rasmussen daubed his confession on the wall in red paint. He d- drew... He, he painted it. Painted it. With a big old brush. Huh. Um, and that his autopsy report turned up heavy amounts of narcotics. Hmm. They're, of course, interrupted by the new gossip columnist for the morning rampage, Sasha <laughs> Crispin-Schmidt. <laughs> that is the appropriate name for someone who writes a gossip it column. It absolutely is, and she is appropriately nosy for the dinner. Oh, good. Um, 
After that, uh, Quill returns to the Casablanca and receives a dinner invitation from the Countess, which merits a trip down to the laundry room, hmm. which is just as rundown as the rest of the building. He does, however, run into his female flasher from the night before. Her name is Isabel. And in a show of honest human decency, uh, he shares with her his own story of recovery from alcohol addiction and really strongly suggests that she get a cat. Hmm. Uh, he also then tracks down the neighbors who slashed, who slashed his tires, discovers said neighbor is the size of a truck, and wisely retreats back to his apartment. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to the guy behind you. Run! Say, stop, stop slashing my tires, exactly. tiny. Yeah, not so much. Uh, <laughs> discretion is the better part of valor in that particular case. Uh, most, most assuredly. Yes. And uh, while he is getting ready for dinner with the Countess, uh, he gets a call, phone call from Osmond uh, Hasselrich with the K Foundation. Uh, they have met that day and unanimously voted, voted, excuse me, they have unanimously voted to foot the bill to renovate the Casablanca. Oh, wow. Now all they have to do is convince the Countess to give the building to Sock and not the Penimans. Hmm. Um, before going to dinner, he Quill then makes a brief stop at the Blue Dragon to tell Mary the good news, um, and he learns a little bit more gossip. Apparently, Adelaide St. John Plum uh, was engaged to the catch of her social set, um, but then the economy tanked, and her father was in danger of losing the Casablanca. Three th amazing things then happened. One, Adelaide broke her engagement. Two, her father was suddenly solvent. And three, a Pennyman cousin married the Jilted Man. According to Mary, hmm. she clearly bartered her fiancé for millions to save her father and the Casablanca. Now, it was 1935, so a million? A lot of money. Quite a bit of money, yes. It's a lot of money now, but it was a lot of money It was, yeah, it was a then. buttload of money back then. Exactly. And she never looked back. Uh, apparently, the Pennymans are still managing her finances, which is what Quill and the K-Fund are up against in their bid to save the building. Um, Quill, honestly, at this point, just thinks Sock's, Sock is crazy to try to think they'll win, but he promises to try. Um, and as a hostess gift, selects a lovely Art Deco pillbox from mm. Mary's collection. Uh, she gives it to him gratis since he's about to take it to try and save one of her pet projects. Well, of course. At least she can do. Uh, Adelaide loves the box, but dinner is honestly a bit sad. Um, she probably attended things like Gertrude Stein's salon in Paris, met tons <laughs> of famous people, but she just can't or won't remember anything about them. Hmm. It's all about her and her father and games. Um, they have a great, great game of Scrabble with uh, Quill managing to play Quiviet, which is a type of yarn spun from the inner hairs of the uh, inner hairs layers of the musk ox. And how is it spelled? Q-I-V-I-U-T. Use that one in your next Scrabble game. You will get lots of points. Um, <laughs> And this impresses his hostess, understandably. Sure. Uh, his plans for the Casablanca coffee table book that he he's now mentioning that he made up on the spot a couple I'm, of days ago. I'm sorry, ago. that's such a 90s thing, a coffee table book. Yes, the table coffee book. table book. Um, <laughs> so he wants to, of course, feature the Countess's apartment and, of course, the Countess herself, which also impresses the Countess. But the minute he tries to attempt to convince her to sell the building to someone other than her Pennyman cousins... It crashes and burns hard. Ooh. She stops listening. She shuts him out. And then he goes away. Um, to make matters worse, when he gets back to his apartment, he finds out that the morning rampage gossip columnist that uh, he met at the press club has now correctly guessed that he's there to make a counteroffer for the Casablanca. And she calls her readers to get their ringside seats for the Battle of the Bucks. <laughs> So all is, is... So Quill has been trying to keep wow. his whole presence here... On the Under demo, the radar, sure. He, again, doesn't think that there's any hope that Sock is going to do anything with this because the Pennymans clearly have the inside track. Sure. 
Um, but he, that doesn't mean he wanted his presence advertised. He still really does not like having people talk about his money. No, of course. I, it, the fact that he kind of stumbled in, not stumbled into it, but kind of came into it oh, unexpectedly. by accident. Yeah, he, and that's, he was never a flashy type of person anyway. Exactly. So, yeah, suddenly you want to find out, oh, you, you're worth millions, if not billions. And that's no. suddenly all that people know about you. And right. you've got, you know, you've had a career, you've done all these things. And that's um, all they're ever going to talk about. But they're all only going to talk about how you stumbled into millions. Exactly. On the other hand, though, Quill gets to see Isabel, his former flasher, in the lobby, and she's cuddling a kitten that she's named Sweetie Pie. She's clean, she's sober, and seems happier than anyone has ever seen her. I really wish that cats were actually this magical, but it is certainly a great first step towards recovery. Now, the right cat can be that magical. We've we've seen... The right pet in general. Exactly. The right... Exactly. It could be a cat, dog, a lizard, ferret, doesn't matter. And in a lot of cases, with... Uh, certain types of addiction, alcoholism, having somebody else that you have to take care of can be an impetus for people to get clean. It's not always, it's obviously not a silver bullet, but it seems to be working for Isabel, which is a nice thing to see. Which is great. And we know of many, you know, we have friends who are in recovery and have been for a while and pets have been a huge part of it. Exactly. Um, But you got to want to recover. Exactly. Nope. Exactly. Quill is uh, attempting to write a quill pen about his experience with the Casablanca uh, the for pen. the uh, for the readers of the Moose County something, but Coco distracts him, leading him to an oddly hung painting um, with kind of nauseating subject matter. Uh, it's a bloody butcher block. Mm. It's not a great painting, but what's slightly worse is that under the painting, the wall is freshly painted, and Quill's mustache is switching so hard, I'm surprised it doesn't jump off his face because <laughs> under that fresh paint is Ross Rasmussen's. Presumed confession. Oh. Rasmussen, Rasmus. I I think it's Rasmus. It's Ross's confession. It's Ross's confession. Painted Um, on there? Painted on the wall, and they painted over it. Oh, my. So here's a problem. The confession spells Diane's name with one N. Oh. And wouldn't her lover know that her name is spelled with two? He did on the bracelet Quill found. Um, And even lackadaisical spelling artists generally spell people's names right when they're important to them. Especially when they're not only your lover, but they're your patron, blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Uh, Quill also then notices the location of Ross's landing in the parking lot is off the back of the terrace where the floodlight actually doesn't reach. So no one below or on the terrace could possibly see anything. Hmm. And another tenant mentions hearing screams as Ross fell, which doesn't match what Quill knows of suicides who apparently jump in desperate silence, hmm. which makes sense. Um, it, yes. If you're, if you were planning to end your life, maybe you don't scream. Maybe you, if you realize that it's a terrible idea halfway down, perhaps, perhaps, but if you're really there to try and, to try and end it all, um, you probably do go in silence. Right. Um, we then have a flashback to the cat who could read backwards and the cat who saw red as Quill attends a gallery opening at the Bessinger Todd gallery. And Quill is intrigued by some clay discs with layered textures. And it turns out they are not made by none other than our delightful friend, Inga Berry. Inga Berry's back. Uh, she is back from the cat who saw red. Um, unfortunately, her arthritis has finally attacked her thumbs, making it impossible for her to throw pots. Uh, she has, however, figured out how to do those wonderful clay discs with layers and textures that she can roll out. And she doesn't need her thumb to, uh, to throw the pots. They, uh, the two of them leave to talk over some real hoots, hooch at Inga's <laughs> request. And once again, she manages to shed some very much needed light on the murder. Inga describes Ross as a health nut, unlikely to get into drugs. 
So that whole autopsy finding a whole bunch of drugs in the system, mm-hmm. hmm, something does suspicious not, there. Do, yeah, it does not ring well. Now, he did break up Diane's marriage to Todd, um, business partner and husband, before they moved to Schleberg. Um, But unfortunately, there is a rumor that uh, Diane had a new protege, uh, the painter of the spaghetti eaters, which is unpleasant. Um, <laughs> so that's what they everyone considered the motive for Ross murdering Diane. Inga is also old enough to know of Adelaide Plum's story, and what she heard is very different. She heard that Adelaide was forced to give up her fiancé by her father. Hmm. Curiouser and curiouser. Indeed. This gets compounded by a former maid who comes to clean Quill's apartment, um, who shares her opinion that Adelaide might have even poisoned her own father father as revenge, Hmm. um, assisted by a handsome houseboy. A handsome houseboy. Interesting. Yeah, we don't find out much more about the handsome houseboy. It's just kind of implied that he was there. Sure. Uh, later, Quill encounters Charlotte Roop, who is leaving Roberto's with her new gentleman friend, who happens <laughs> to have a distinctive bandage on one ear. Hmm. Who is this bandaged man? Hmm. Well, apparently he's an engineer who lost his ear in, in a dynamite explosion uh, and had extensive reconstructive surgery. Fair. And his name is Ray Dunwoody. God, these names. Um, We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Quill then heads to the Pennyman Hotel, has lunch at the bar, chats with Randy Jupiter from the uh, Casablanca, and the two men discover a mutual love of jazz. Hmm. Randy promises to bring some over one night, though Quill cautions him against any screaming trumpets. They'll annoy the cats. I can imagine that the uh, cats would not be happy with that. Yeah. As we go forward, things are not looking good for Sock. The Pennymans, led by their new ideas man, whose name is Flood... F-L-E-U-D-D. I would not read that as flood. Nope. Flood. Yes. The, the good news about this book is that half the names are bizarre. So not only does Quill have them spelled, he has them pronounced. Ah. Which, to someone who is dy- dyslexic, this is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's looking at... I would never have guessed that this name was pronounced flood, even though I do speak a little bit of German and I have some idea of how letters and things are arranged. But, but still, you see that your first instinct is not going to be, ah, this is flood. No, I that's... I would have said Floyd. F- um, Flood would be Flood. <laughs> yes. Um, but anyway, New Ideas Men Flood is announcing... They, they have started announcing that the new project that's going to take the place of the Casablanca is already 50% leased, and they're predicting that they'll be able to break ground earlier than expected. That doesn't sound suspicious at all. <laughs> Later at dinner with Roberto and Mary, Quill expresses his concerns about the Countess's safety, wonders if the Pennymans are taking advantage of her, and Roberto, understandably, is hesitant to look into the matter. But Mary does convince him, because it looks like these two might be headed for Coupleton. Um, to which Quill quips, hmm. those two stuffed shirts deserve each other. <laughs> um, yeah, really, those, those two are going to be so much happier with each other than anybody else. Um, but as he's leaving, Quill also notices that smooth plastic surgery perfect face in the dining room of Roberto's. After some research, it turns out that that is Flood. Hmm. And Quill is starting now to wonder if Flood is spying on him. Following him around, yeah. The next chapter of the book begins predicting doom. Quill tries to make a lunch date with Detective Hames and schedules a vet appointment for the cats, who have been acting very oddly. Both appointments are noted in the text as ones he was destined not to keep. Interesting. A phone call about a photographer, sadly not Odd Bunsen. I know. I tried. I know. um, Is destined never to be received. Hmm. Um, Quill packs the cats into their carriers for the trip to the vet, but when he gets to the parking lot, he discovers his car has been stolen. Whoops. Oh, no. So he takes them back upstairs and heads out to dinner where he sulks over a pastrami sandwich and thinks about how much he misses Muth County. Aw. 
He then invites Randy Jupiter over for some jazz, plays some Scrabble with Coco before he arrives, and Coco plays Jove, which starts setting Quill's mustache twitching, which when Jupiter, by Jove, Jupiter, uh-huh, Jove, uh-huh. Zeus, all of those things connected, arrives and begins playing music, Quill starts asking questions and steadily getting Jupiter drunker before he drops his bombshell. Quill has figured out that the murder-suicide was a frame-up. And that Randy, Randy Jupiter, was the culprit. He claimed to never have been in Diane's apartment or met the Countess, but Mary Duckworth saw him at Diane's the night that she died and identifies him as a common bridge partner of the the Countess. So he's been lying the whole time. Uh, Jupiter tries to attack Quill with a knife, gets tangled up by Coco, and Quill hits him on the head with a bottle just as the terrace doors burst open. And they're in the sunken living room. It's the building handyman Rupert. And Arch Riker, who has come from Moose County to collect Quill's body. Oh, God. The police arrive, take Jupiter away. Arch catches Quill up on his supposed demise. That stolen car. Rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. exaggerated. Yeah. So apparently Quill's stolen car was shot at on the highway the night before, uh, crashed into the median and exploded, incinerating the passenger. They had to trace Quill by his license plate. Oh, God. Which is when they called Andrew Brody and Moose County went into mourning. Quill's further research at this point has turned up that the Pennyman's new ideas man Flood has a history of dirty tricks, and he's beginning to suspect that Randy, the bartender, when Coco started twisting his tail like a corkscrew, might be his man on the ground. Mm-hmm. Now the suspect's in custody, and he and Arch turn in for the night so they can drive back to Pickaxe in the morning. Hmm. But Coco is not done. We are not done yet, we folks. We are not done yet, folks. Uh, the murder is technically solved, um, but Coco wakes up Quill in the middle of the night and alerts him to the crackle of flames under his floor. Oh, no. uh, the building has gone on fire. Oh, Quill God. gets Arch and the cats out. They barely remember their wallets. They <laughs> rush down the stairs to their lobbies, yelling all the way to get as many people out of the building as they right, possibly right, right. can. Uh, they catch a cab at the front door, and as they're pulling away, there is a deafening explosion that cracks the cab's windshield. <laughs> the top floors of the Casablanca have been bombed. Oh, God. Quill's sneaking suspicion is that Charlotte Roop's friend Dunwoody may have set the bomb at the behest of Flood, who Quill now realizes, again, was the fancy businessman he saw mm-hmm. dining with Dunwoody earlier in the book. Um, later, the uh, news reports that 42 residents have been hospitalized, nobody's recovered, but most of the building got out safe. Good. Uh in Quill's, for for full reassurance, uh, Quill then spots on a news report the distinctive waved hair, plucked eyebrows, and Cupid's bow mouth of the Countess. So she survived as well. <laughs> well, good. Which good, kind good, of, good. again, leads to the plan that this was, this was very much a plan because I doubt that you could have gotten her out of her apartment for love nor money unless one of her Pennyman cousins had said, you need to get out now. And that's not what happened. Yeah. Hmm. So she survived. Uh, Quill and Arch head back to, uh, head Back to Moose County, the cats are back to their usual selves, and Coco gets to know that he saved almost 200 people by waking Quill up before the explosion detonated. (laughs) Quite the cat there. I have to say, Coco's doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to cats. Most particularly. um, Well, uh, Yum Yum is there to catch mice and and find Scrabble tiles. (laughs) Yum Yum is there to be the country cat to uh, keep the place free of mice and to do other cat stuff, while Coco is clearly the intellectual with glasses... And a smoking jacket going, hmm, if we give the, if we look at this page here, you know. Exactly. Now, the fun thing about this book is we get to have some old familiar faces. We get to see Robert We Mouse. haven't seen him in a while. Yes. We haven't, we haven't seen any of these people since, um, since the cat who turned on and off. Um, so we get Robert Mouse back. We get uh, the cat who, oh, excuse me, the cat say who saw Red. But also it's not Robert anymore. It it's, is now Roberto. He makes one tapas dish. 
gotten suddenly is Roberto. Yes. We got Charlotte Roop, who now has upgraded. You know, if we remember Charlotte, she was kind of fuddly dressed. Her hair was overstyled. Uh, now she is elegantly dressed in beige and an expensive cameo. Um, <laughs> we, we see Amberina, who has fallen on hard times. Um, Mary Duckworth has upgraded to twin sets and pearls rather than red nails and blue kimonos. Um, and our darling Inga Berry, who remains one of my favorite random characters. And she also greets Quill by saying, I'll be damned if that isn't the best mustache east of the Mississippi. <laughs> it's like the woman's got spark. I love Very her. Very much so. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Now, we've mentioned in, in, in uh, some previous books that Quill has uh, started to develop a, uh, a friendship with, a lady f- with, with the librarian in Pickaxe, Polly. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Polly, of course, remains in Moose County during this adventure. And she and Quill chat several times throughout the book, but each time we are reminded, Polly is a wonderful woman, but inclined to be jealous. Hmm. We don't need that. No. Um, you also need to stop telling her about all this, all the women that you're da- that you're seeing and how they are skinnier than she is. Well, Quill, that's on you, buddy. Exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, but Polly does make an interesting comment to Quill. At, at, at one point, she tells him that he has a duty, like English royalty, to keep himself safe. And she's not actually wrong. We're only three years into the five years that the will stipulated before he inherits the whole thing outright. So if he dies... Then everything goes away it's all from it, it's all gone um, and this is the second time exactly that he has been pronounced dead so or near dead or it was near dead the first time this almost, time he was pronounced dead almost dead is near, is not <laughs> <laughs> mostly dead is somewhat alive <laughs> precisely thank you miracle max so polly is is really not wrong here it's it's important that Quill starts to take a little bit better care of himself. Um, it would be so nice if he could manage to get through a book without being, you know, threatened with death. For at least, you know, two day, two years and a day, maybe. Yeah, just maybe. Just maybe. On the other hand, then we have... Apparently living at the Casablanca is a model whose name is Winnie Wingfoot. <laughs> um, and whenever she walks by, we have to hear about how Quill breathes lustily into his mustache. Ah. Uh, Ew. Oh. Ew. Let the woman live her life. Yes, and the, like... I'm just imagining that creepy, the creepy phone calls that women sometimes get with just the heavy, yeah, breathing. That yes. oh, God. well, and he's breathing into that very distinctive mustache, so he's got a lot to breathe in and out. That's uh, it's God. gross. Anyway, uh, moving um, on, please. <laughs> so uh, some of our signs of the times. Ah, yes. Um, Quill reads the architect's report on what financial investment it will take to restore the Casablanca, and he gulps because it's in the nine figures, which is hundreds of millions. Right. Even for Lillian Jackson Bronze, considerably behind the times financial acumen, I am honestly surprised that this is not in the billions. <laughs> also, there are still landlines and after 11 p.m. discounts for phone calls. They did that for landlines, too. Oh, yes. This, wow. Judge how long it's been since oh, I... Oh, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, when's the last time you had a landline phone number in your in your life? I was in grad school. Yeah, it's so... So, you know, I had one up until, I'd say... Um, the mid two thousands, simply because that was the easier way for. I, I had Sprint at the time, and I was living in a, in a place where Sprint did not have great coverage, ah. so it made more sense for me to have a landline. I would have the cell phone for wandering around, but uh, having the landline meant that people could call me at home, and I wouldn't have to be wandering around the apartment trying to find to a signal. Get a good signal. <laughs> I for me, it was definitely around, probably around that time, early two thousands, when I moved off campus when I went to college. I had a cell phone, and that ended up saving. Was mostly a cost thing, just so that way we weren't up to paying for a landline. But also, yeah, exactly. I, one direct number, get a hold of me, and 
Yeah. And we've never looked back since. Pretty much. Now, there are some fun uh, comparisons to WPKX, uh, the PKX <laughs> radio station, and the radio in, in the radio news down below, um, where WPKX reports winners of the local quilting and hunting, hunting competitions. Um, every single report from down below that we hear in this book uh, lists some death. An irate law clerk, law clerk shooting his boss, a school shooting, and of course, Quill's supposed highway death. Jeez. It's depressing. Well, back in the big city, there's going to be more of that and more need for constant news. So exactly. let's report just the doom and gloom. Now, we've we've mentioned some of the weird names. And Lillian Jackson Braun doubles way, way, way down <laughs> on the weird names in this book. Quill complains about strange names, a new spelling of old names that have cropped up in the last few years. But this is very tongue-in-cheek. Tongue um, L.J. Bean mentions that the peculiarities of his own name have clearly escaped him while he's whining about this. He's a name hipster. He was rocking the strange spelling before these kids were even born. But some of these names, his neighbor is named Keistra Hedrog. The uh, the detective that he takes to lunch, Matt Thigamon. Okay. The painter of the uh, of the spaghetti eaters, Ruane Wilk. Ruane. Okay, I knew a Ruane in college. Exactly. So that's not and the that one's out of all of them. Weirdly enough, that's the one that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't go that doesn't go like that's a made up name. Exactly. But all names are all made names up. are made up. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, for we of course, as we mentioned, uh, Winnie Wingfoot. We've oh, yeah. got Dunwoody Flood. Dunwoody um, is his first name. No, du- Ray Dunwoody was Charlotte Roop's uh, friend who probably set the bomb. Oh God, yes, I thought it was Dunwoody Flood. Yeah. I was like, now that is a strange. Uh, that would have been a strange name. No, Dunwoody is a separate person from Flood. Um, and then we have Yolanda Targ, who is the new art critic for the Flux show. <laughs> the, t- the t- God, Targ. Targ. That is a dungeon. That is the name of a Dungeons and Dragons goblin boss. That's not an art like critic. <laughs> um, we, of course, have Cats Will Be Cats. Um, Quill attempts to bring home beef stroganoff for his dinner from a local restaurant, but ends up dropping the plate to save a fellow tenant from breaking a hip. Oh. Um, the first floor cats uh, at, at the Casablanca, it should be mentioned, uh, the there were cats that just kind of roamed the first floor. Sure. Um, and then, of course, cats that were lived throughout the building. Um, the and first, then we have Coco and Yum Yum and who were lived up on high. The, who lived high. Ding, ding, on, ding, 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 up on the 14th floor. Took a while floor. to get us there that time. Yeah, that was kind of, it was kind of just an atmospheric thing. It's a little harder to catch on to. No, sure, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> so the first floor cats end up enjoying his dinner instead. And he returns to his apartment intending to feed the cats. Uh, but they only nip very politely at the food. But politely. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. We're, we're not hungry. Um, it turns out that the handyman fed them a jelly donut while he was there. And Co- Quill is incensed. <laughs> Coco and yum yum? Yeah. Once again, they'll eat plebeian food as long as someone else is serving it. <laughs> um, Quill is also learning that he cannot crumple paper before tossing it in the wastebasket anymore. Because if he does, yum yum jumps in immediately. <laughs> um, yum yum also falls in love with the waterbed at the Casablanca. And oh. Quill decides that he really needs to get her home before she sleeps her life away. <laughs> Speaking of cats, what would be your paw rating for this one? I gotta give this one only two paws. Another I mean, the mis- two out of two. Yeah, That's the mystery is good, but it feels unfinished and poorly explained. Um, the Randy Jupiter connection is tenuous at best. There's no real explanation of why he's there it's not like he, we know that he's getting money or anything mm-hmm. else he's just that's the person that they decided did here's the, the killer go did the deed i feel like almost like she started this and then realized she didn't want to write in the setting anymore hmm. um so she <laughs> so she blows up the building <laughs> rocks fall everyone dies <laughs>
It is a very odd filler book um, to remind me, readers that Quill used to be a big deal down below, but he prefers Moose County now. This is also the first of what I call the travel books, where Quill either leaves for vacation or a project um, before, before returning gratefully to Moose County after being the victim of some very crazy disasters. This is only the first one. Um, <laughs> but after the third book, it should be pointed out, he stays home. And doesn't travel down below anymore. Doesn't travel down, doesn't, other than a, other than a weekend trip, he doesn't. He's do not it. down there to solve, to solve another groovy mystery. Exactly. Exactly. Um, this book is definitely one, Coco starts to take a, a larger role as the solver of the mysteries, mm-hmm. uh, starting with this book though. So okay. that's important. It's good to know. Um, it, it's clear that she is advancing her styles, changing things around. And trying out new ideas just to see how they work within the world that she's created. Hmm. So there's some interesting things to see about this. See, no, very much so. And I'm curious to see where it all goes uh, as we get further along in these exactly. travel books and, and beyond. Exactly. Well, any other final thoughts on this one? I really wish that there had been more to this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish it hadn't felt like such a filler book of we need to do something with Quill to fill the time of five years before he before he inherits all the money. So let's send him down below. Let's see what happens. It does seem like it's a bit of a cheap move to have there be another death scare. Exactly. So close to the first one. Precisely. So Because remember, this is only three years in. Right. So I can see why that would be a little frustrating and leave you wanting more and not just, "Uh, I need to do something quick and uh, the building blows up and his car gets shot. Exactly. And that's it. So, you know, (laughs) but again, this is, she's trying out new things. She's trying to figure out where does she want to go with these stories. And she... Over the next couple of books, she really kind of solidifies where she wants to go sure. with her books. Once once it becomes official that, um, mild spoiler alert, Quill does actually make it to five years, inherits all the money, uh, and then he has to figure out what he wants to do with it. Hmm. So having moments like these where he's gone down below, reassured himself he doesn't want to be there, is important, I guess, to the story. I just wish that she found a slightly better way to do it. Well, but with that... Thank you so much for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. Now, join us next time for The Cat Who Knew a Cardinal. Ah, The Cat Who Knew a Cardinal. Exactly. I'm Susan Ramsdorf Terry. And I'm Luke Ramsdorf Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing. Stay nosy, my friends. Stay nosy.